Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot Slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I am Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And we have a couple of different guests today. This is a kind of unique episode. We've got three people who have been involved at the university level and helping organize how universities are sort of responding to, supporting, interfacing with the cannabis world, the cannabis community, cannabis industry. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening here at NYU in the New York area and some of the programs that are going to be putting place by the different schools at NYU. We're going to talk a little bit about more broadly the role that universities can play, because I think this is the one area inside the cannabis kind of industry, the cannabis ecosystem that we haven't really covered and I don't really hear talked a whole lot about is this next generation. And my kind of personal point of view, you know, you want to change the world, you teach the children <laughs> you know, how, to, how to change it and they will change it ultimately. But I think that universities, you know, are going to be a huge driving factor on the future of the cannabis industry and, and how it shapes, what it does, what it doesn't do. And so I'm excited about this conversation. So we've got a couple of people I'll just go through quickly and then 
I'll have them introduce themselves a little bit. Brandon Katz is a JD and MBA student with NYU. Uh, Tosi Ajayi, did I, how did I do it? Ajayi, sorry, Ajayi, uh, who's an MPA. She's also owner of Holistic Remedies. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, her background there. And then and then we'll see. I'm, I've been working on this one. Katrina Jelizniak. Pretty good. Not pretty bad. good. Jelizniak. Jelizniak. No, pretty good. I've heard much worse. <laughs> she's an MBA <laughs> student as well. And so we're going to talk with them a little bit about the organizations they've put together there, which is, I would say, pretty innovative. It's the first, or at least one of the first, uh, I think, student-led, school-supported, cannabis-focused organizations that is really happening. And, and like I said, I'm excited about it because I think the universities really are going to play a huge role in where this industry goes. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the programs that you've been able to put together, the organizations you've put together. Why don't I start with Brandon to kind of talk about sort of the high-level things, and we'll talk about the business side and um, just what is happening to date, what you've been able to accomplish. And then we'll talk a little bit about where you hope to go with some of these organizations, both within NY, in NYU as well as universities in general. So, well, actually, let me give you each a little bit of time to kind of give your backgrounds and then we'll do that. So let's do Brandon, Tosi, and then Katrina. So Brandon, give us a little sense of your background and how you've been involved in these programs. Sure. And thanks for having us, Bruce. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So I went to Vanderbilt undergrad, studied history, economics, and sort of had an interest in, in government going into law school, but then realized maybe I want to be in the private sector. And as I sort of took on my degree, I realized that cannabis was a unique area where the public sector is actually sort of driven by companies in the private sector. And it's such an underdeveloped sort of space. So to make an impact on the business side, you can actually really sort of spearhead legal development in a unique way. So I wanted to get involved in the cannabis space, but it was sort of hard to do so because there was no formal recruiting pipeline the same way you'd see in consulting or investment banking. So I sort of serendipitously found my way into the industry. I worked at a private equity company. I interned there my first year of the business part of my degree. And I met Katrina, who was also working in the industry. And we thought, wow, it'd be really great if we could you know, build a recruiting pipeline so more people could get involved. And from there, it really sort of took off. We met uh, someone named Chris Burgrave, who is also in the industry. He's the former chief marketing officer of Anheuser-Busch, so a you know, legitimate person in, in this new space. And he sort of taught us about the need for responsibility in the industry at this early stage and how universities can really play a role in actually nudging the trajectory of the industry at a very early stage of development in order to make a disproportionate impact in the long-run development. And so we really think that especially given the state of the industry right now, to have qualified, responsible people come in is going to be really, really important for the development of the industry and to make this into something that can be a beacon as opposed to you know, potentially an abomination, which it could very well turn out to be if the right people aren't in it, if the regulations are not written the right way, if uh, we don't have the correct sort of stigma and social imprint on the industry. So we want to touch in all those areas of just very high level. Specifically, we have three different student organizations built out already at three different NYU schools. At NYU Stern, we have Canna Business, which is more business-focused, as, as you can imagine, uh, recruiting, events, but also we have the first two accredited classes on the cannabis industry for students to actually take and learn about the space and work with companies in the space directly. At the law school, we now have Canna Law, which is the first student club for law students, and we're helping nonprofit organizations and lawyers in the space to help 
get people executive clemency who are now incarcerated for marijuana crimes to get pardons, released from prison, or their sentences commuted. Also to expunge criminal records for people who have criminal records for marijuana crimes, so help them get employment, and also outsource policy research so law students could help companies expand to new states that might not know the regulations in those states. And so really trying to fill these industry needs at an early level for all the different schools. And now, as of yesterday, actually, we finally created TANA policy, which I'll let Tosi speak more to, but that's sort of the very bird's eye view of our organization. We're, we're going to call the whole thing the NYU Cannabis Network, as sort of uh, all of these as its subsidiaries compartmentalized for specific value offerings in the industry. That's great. Yeah, so Tosi, so give us a sense of your background, why you've gotten involved in this, and tell us a little bit more about the policy side, because I think that sounds like the newest piece, and I think a very interesting one, given, I think, one of the fascinating things about the cannabis industry is that it has such uh, an important social justice aspect, historical aspect, a policy aspect. So give us a sense of your background and what you're doing with the policy side. Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Tosi and I am a student of Wagner, which is a school of public service at NYU. A little bit about my background is that I graduated with a bachelor's degree in public health. I've always been really driven by really helping people. And I took it to the next level when I got my, started my MPA and public administration really wanting to help people on a larger scale. And with my health background and with my enthusiast attitude towards <laughs> cannabis, <laughs> for lack of a better way, um, I really, about in 2018, started to really think about how I can really start to destigmatize the plant, stigmatize cannabis. And that's when um, me and my partner created Holistic Remedies, which is all about pointing out the medicinal qualities of cannabis. So we make like a CBD healing balm. We make, we use agave honey sticks. Because there's so many um, health qualities to cannabis, as we know, with anxiety or even I work in healthcare with cancer patients. And so many cancer patients were calling in trying to get cannabis prescriptions. And we were being told that cannabis was completely nothing that we can talk about. I mean, we've seen the evolution of how medicinal cannabis has evolved over the years. Um, and holistic remedies was my way of kind of really trying to drive that um, destigmatization of plant. And it was earlier last semester that I saw a call come out from Brandon and Katrina about Cannabis Club. And I was really intrigued to get involved because I was like, I'm at NYU. I already have this cannabis business. And I'm so passionate about, you know, really pushing forward what cannabis can do for so many people that I really poached them. I kind of really reached out to them and kind of forcefully like put myself into their you know atmosphere and said like, this is me. I want to be part of this. And and I was one of the, I think, the first student that wasn't a stern business student who was part of the club. And I um, became appointed to being the VP of community for a can of business. And um, since I've started, we've had Brandon, Katrina, and I have had this idea of, you know, expanding the cannabis coalition into policy. And as we talked about, really happy to hear that um, or to announce that cannabis policy was just approved at NYU. And really, it's going to be a club that's just, again, pushing forward a more socially equitable and conscious cannabis community. I am also happy to kind of lead by example and show people that, you know, there can be minorities that are in this space. Because as we know, you know, minorities have been disproportionately affected by a lot of the cannabis laws in this country. And even as we see the industry open up, there are a significant amount of people who are being left out of this rush, this green rush. So as Brandon was alluding to, you know, we want to focus on um, 
incarcerated individuals from marijuana convictions, seeing how we can help, whether it's through advocacy, grassroots advocacy, um, picking up the phone, calling your local representatives, organizing a whole day. You know, there were ideas of us potentially coming up with a scale for um, social equity scale for cannabis businesses that they could apply to their own businesses and see if they are, you know, doing what's what's expected of them as we push forward for this. So I'm just I'm really excited about being part of this group, being part of this team. And my perseverance and love, honestly, for the plant is just helping to open a lot more opportunities to continue destigmatizing the plant, which is what I'm all about. Awesome. Thank you. And Katrina, um, so tell us a little bit about your background and then um, explain a little bit about kind of the bigger picture here in terms of what you hope uh, by, by creating these different groups within the different schools and then the overall and then ultimately, you know, what other universities can do. I mean, how, how do you sort of see this playing out at a, at a broader kind of, you know, academic institution level? Absolutely. Thank you again for having us. So my name is Katrina. Just a brief background on myself. I'm originally from the Bay Area, so I've definitely always grown up around, you know, pretty pretty innovative attitudes around cannabis and honestly seeing cannabis used as, as medicine and really treated as such by doctors or whatever it might be. I studied neurobiology in undergrad, so I was always very interested in healthcare. Truthfully, was pre-med longer than I like to admit, like far after I graduated. I kept on pushing, wanted to help in this way and was truthfully so disillusioned with the current state of healthcare that I spent many years bouncing around anywhere from lab research to business development and biotech to finally before business school healthcare consulting and truthfully wanted to find a more innovative, disruptive way to create more systemic change as much as I wanted to go person by person. uh, I really thought there might be a better way. And so that being said, I recognized I first of all needed to go to business school. That was sort of the pivot there. I needed to round out the scientific background with actual business foundation to be able to take products from conceptualization to commercialization. And throughout this whole time, I had this secret goal in my mind of maybe one day I'll move into cannabis, but not yet. Business school is so structured and I need to get, you know, everything out of my investment. There is, as Brandon has said, no recruiting pipeline. Let me work for a big, you know, Johnson and Johnson, see what's out there and eventually I'll take the pivot. Sort of put it on the back burner. And as you know, you've sort of heard the theme very serendipitously, I fell into the CBD space because right when we started our MBA program. August 2018 was right when CBD exploded in New York City. I kept on seeing it everywhere. I'm talking to all my friends about it. And truthfully, through the classic business school networking, found an incredible internship with uh, Recess, which is a circling CBD beverage. One of the earlier ones, now you see them everywhere. But at the time, it really was a very forward-thinking company. And it laughed me in the face to say, why would I wait until after business school to move into this? This is a fascinating case study. This leverages my entire background. There's a huge need for science and credibility. And truthfully, it felt like a really hands-on thing to actually get to apply my business school education to. So that being said, I fell into it at the perfect time, happened to meet Brandon and everything sort of went from there where we met Tosi, we met our incredible board. We have over 20 people on our board alone for the Canada Business Club. So we've definitely found so much support. And truthfully, what it took was being confident enough to say, I'm going to put this on my resume. This is going to be my thing. Because if anybody doesn't want to hire me later on down the line because of this, truthfully, I probably wouldn't 
wouldn't have wanted to work there anyways. So yep. that's pretty helpful self-selection. So all of this is to say, I think this is a really big motivating factor for myself coming from this healthcare background, looking for disruption and hopefully making a pretty big change in, in medicine as we know it. I see Canada to be that. If not yet, maybe it's five years, maybe a 10. But it's really great to have worked with people like Tosi and Brandon across law and across policy, because that is exactly why I went to NYU. And that's sort of where I want to pivot to. How is this relevant to other people and what's ahead for us? I think what was really, really important for me coming into starting something like this was cannabis is at its core in this very moment, very fragmented across state lines, companies, whatever it might be. Everybody is reinventing the wheel, although there's so much shared passion for the plant, for the social equity, for the responsible rollout of this, this nascent industry while staying, you know, cognizant of the fact that it's not really a new industry <laughs> like any other. Really legal industry, yeah. Which we've been reminded of, <laughs> you know, in every way, financially, legally, or otherwise. And so that being said, I think it was really important for us to make sure that what we built out was just, you know, business schools, getting job in cannabis, and, you know, job in cannabis, making money and, and getting out of the space. That was the last thing we want. We recognized there was stigma around what business school students do. So at the very core, it was important for us to build out not just canna business, but canna law, canna policy, hopefully canna health, and really spread this across all institutions that we can. Just like we're working with Tosi, I would never have otherwise spoken to a single person from Wagner throughout my time at Stern, unless I happen to be in a class. And again, I think that all of these things, whether it was my falling into cannabis, meeting other people who bring so many diverse backgrounds and professional skill sets to this, it shouldn't be left to chance. It shouldn't just be the serendipitous meeting or timing aligning. There should be structure and credibility to it. And I think that's something that we've really been able to achieve at NYU. In the beginning, we had to sit in, push, you know, with the administration, push through some of the, this sounds like a passion. This sounds like a side project. Maybe you can build out under another club. And once we pushed through that, we were able to get not only so many students, but as Brandon said, the former chief marketing officer of Anheuser-Busch is not only a mentor, but teaching our class at Stern next year. And that is the second time we're having a class on cannabis with hands-on consulting where students can actually learn and consult for, in this case, a nonprofit at no cost to that nonprofit. And as incredible as that is, I think this last piece to leave off on is why isn't this everywhere? It, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. We've put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But ultimately, having the right strategy and support, it takes a couple of phone calls. Maybe it takes a couple of you know hours sitting outside of somebody's office. But once you get that traction, and as we see, the stigma sort of start to lift. I mean, truthfully, it's chicken or the egg. That, that's a part of the stigma being shifted as well, is students coming into the space and bringing in academic thought leadership, not companies who are driven by self-interest or paying for research because they need certain results or lobbying for you know their product to be the whatever it might be. We need academic thought leadership with genuinely passionate people who just care yeah. about the industry in the long term. So that's what we're all here to, to do. So give us a <laughs> sense of kind of the complications of doing this inside the university complex, because I know I know that it's taken a while. I know you've had some struggles. And why why is this, I guess, complicated or difficult or, you know, dynamic for a university to engage in the cannabis industry at this point? And, you know, give us a little sense of what the journey has been like. What are the issues that have come up? How have you worked around it? Because I know it hasn't been easy. I know it wasn't like, hey, we've got this idea. Great. We fill out a form. We've got this group and we're good to go, right? There's been kind of some back and forth. And I'll let anyone decide who they want to take this. But just, you know, from a, from an enlightenment point of view, you know, for listeners here, what are the dynamics at the university level when it comes to the cannabis industry? Well, I think interestingly enough, we can all sort of split across, you know, just quickly rounding out the cannabis business piece and Brandon, I'll pass it to you for Canna Law and Tosi, most recently Canna Policy, which truthfully I think might have been, you know, the most forceful because we learn each time. That's sort of a big part of this too, is if we can share what we have done to save other students, other schools, the time of doing this, you know, it's all in the spirit of transparency. For Canna Business, it wasn't that anybody had shut 
shut us down per se. It was more so that we really needed to think of how to pitch it to a business-oriented organization that first time. At first, just the passion thing, this is a need, isn't quite enough. So we literally made a pitch deck and we showed, here are the other schools that are doing this. Here's what the market opportunity is. Here's the need for qualified business-minded people to really build this into the sustainable industry. And I think seeing some of those metrics, understanding the projections and truthfully sort of speaking the business school language in that sense, right? They want their students to get the best job they can. And if you imagine cannabis as, you know, any other industry, finance or investment banking, we personally think it will look the same. And maybe five years, there will be big cannabis companies coming to recruit at business schools, whatever other graduate schools. And the earlier you can get your best people, qualified people to make a positive impact and entrench themselves. And again, that that was the language we had to speak. And eventually, I think beyond the response that maybe this could just be another part of what about the Entrepreneurship and Startup Association, who don't get me wrong, is a close sister club. We had to explain to them that because this bans finance, law, healthcare, any background that you have, we can't really choose another club. It has to be its own standalone. And we have our own journey ahead of us in terms of shifting the stigma, right? That you can come from finance and maybe be disillusioned and maybe try finance and cannabis and love the people you work with. And a lot of people in business school are in that weird kind of inflection point. So I think ultimately, although it did take that time, it took us under a year to become what is now a professional club. So that's another really, really big development that we had. I think this past week, we came in as a special interest club. So, (laughs) you know, adventure club or tennis club, which was fine. We were happy to work with that and make sure that we branded it as professionally as possible. And (laughs) even well-meaning students would come in and be like, oh, haha, like just, you know, like the wine club. And we're like, no, this is what we're looking to build. We can't wait for the day where we look back on this and laugh to ourselves that that is the response we got. But now we are officially a professional club, meaning we have support from our Office of Career Development, from administrators. And truthfully, that term does see a longer lasting relationship with this club. So I'll pass it off to Brandon because each pocket had its own challenges, which really speaks to like, speaks to things. Yeah, for sure. So I found that sort of in, in all the clubs, especially initially getting them off the ground, there was sort of a social hurdle and there was that stigma and sort of the initial response like, ha ha, well, that's, you know, not necessarily a serious topic. Is there really going to be that much interest in that? Is there going to be consumption involved? That was a big part of it. So, but, you know, when you present it the right way and you you do it with enough sort of fire and you really present how you want to make that impact and how you, what you want to build out in all different schools, you show them that there is clearly student interest and there's clearly interest out in the industry from companies. So to bridge that gap is just a, it's basically a, a gap, a space for NYU to fill in the industry to become a thought leader and actually make an impact very early on. A lot of other student clubs, you know, you're in a very mature industry that's been around for a long time. You've had relationships with same companies for a long time. This is really a unique opportunity to make an impact and sort of be, you know, the locus of the industry in your respective state. So to convince them that, you know, you have to keep on reiterating and pushing and pushing because, you know, especially some personalities that it was difficult to to sort of understand the real value there and positive impact. Generally speaking, though, I think everybody has come around uh, and we've been able to accomplish a ton. And, you know, once this, the ball started rolling it, we kept it kept on growing and growing. One interesting sort of illustration of this is when we were starting Canal Law, we had a presentation in front of the Student Bar Association, in front of the administration, and we thought that we had it locked down. We had this great mm-hmm. presentation. We showed everything that we want to do. And we got Steve Harvey, if you remember that, where we were accepted <laughs> and then rescinded afterwards. <laughs> and they're like, wait a second, there's not going to be consumption, right? We're like, no. And they said, well, uh-huh. 
Uh, we have to run it through legal to make sure that it's not uh, going to impact federal funding. And so I was like, wow, that since it's illegal federally, like even if we're, let's say, facilitating a, an internship or something like that, is that aiding and abetting you know, a federal crime? Uh, is there going to be potentially uh, employers coming to school with their products on hand for giveaways? Are we really at a risk to lose our, our federal funding? So we had to wait an additional two weeks for legal to sort of clear us. And the solution was we had to put into our constitution, we will not actually sell any products that violated state or federal law. And we're like, okay, sure. We're not trying to do that. <laughs> Anyways, it's no big deal. So we put it right in the constitution. I wonder how many clubs have to put it. Like, shouldn't every club have to sign that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That should definitely be a requirement in all clubs. Yeah, exactly. But to me, that, that was sort of like a moment of pride because I, I see that as a time yeah. piece that, you know, back in my day before it was legalized, we had to put in our constitution that we were not going to sell drugs just to yeah. get a student club approved. So there's clearly a sort of stigma yeah. and, but you know, that, that's to be expected. It's no fault of NYU. They've been yeah. great. I mean, it's the state of the world right now. We've been particularly shameless because we believe what we believe and we've really pushed hard and it's allowed us to be very entrepreneurial and get a lot done. So I think that even where you hit those sort of blocks in the road and those obstacles, you know, you present the rational argument here, you can, you can go a long way. Yeah. Great. Tosi, tell us about the policy group and, and how that kind of played out. It's the most recent one. So I'm, I'm curious what if there was changes, <laughs> if, if it was easier, if it was harder than the other groups? Yeah. I mean, I think that there were less systematic roadblocks that were put in place for Canada policy. But being that we are like a public service school, there was a big voting component that was part of it that I don't think necessarily was part of it at the other schools. So it really went through our Wagner um, Student Association and they had to do like a preliminary voting session. And then it just went through our Wagner town hall where we invited all the students of Wagner to kind of vote and see if um, this is something that we want to do. Um, I would also say, I mean, one of the biggest challenges that I faced um, with putting Canada policy together was um, one of the requirements was that we needed a faculty advisor. And being that we are in public service, a lot of our professors actually work in government. So there were people who I approached and it wasn't necessarily necessarily a surprising ask because since I've started at Wagner, I've been writing academic pieces on cannabis. So like my first semester, I did an op-ed on why THC um, shouldn't be excluded from medicinal cannabis. I also wrote another memo, policy memo on like addressing systematic racism in marijuana law enforcement. So when I reached out to those professors, um, they weren't necessarily surprised, but I did get pushback in, you know, I am considering how I'm politically affiliated. I don't know if this necessarily makes sense for me. And it actually took the person who actually ended up accepting it, it took several times reaching out to him and actually reaching out to other professors who then recommended back, like looped back to that one professor I was trying to get and then kind of coming back to him and saying, look, this professor recommended you as the best person. And he's funny, like, I'll do it. So that was really the process. It was kind of, again, that um, social hurdle really pushing forward, you know, against the stigma. People just not sure if they want to necessarily affiliated with um, cannabis, but as we presented our mission and like how important it is for us to be in this space, especially with other institutions already doing things like this, why would you want our students to be left behind? Essentially, that's what it would be. So I think getting that point across was really helpful and convincing everybody that this is a club that needs to happen at Wagner. Yeah. So let's go through each club again and give me a sense of what are your goals? What do you hope to achieve? What's kind of on your agenda for, well, we're recording this in the middle of the COVID lockdown 
lockdown. So I don't know what's going to happen. I think the rest of this year is kind of a, a wash or people are trying to figure out how to finish up 20, the 1920 uh, calendar year. But for 2021, um, you know, assuming we're kind of back into programs, people are back into classes of some sorts later this fall. What do you hope to achieve next year in terms of, um, you know, either agenda items, topics, activities, like what is on your agenda? What do you hope to achieve? Let's start with Katrina. We'll go back around. Yeah. So I guess just to, to start out, it does feel like in so many ways this year has been canceled. Um, yeah. There was definitely a period of recalibration. I think everybody took it differently. Everyone has affected differently. And so it did take us a, a little bit of time to say, all right, we have to reprioritize a lot of the sort of check the box, maybe just fun events that we could more easily have. Maybe those shouldn't be the focus. Maybe we'll have, you know, a board hangout in the meantime, but how can we really make a positive impact right now? Because although, again, in many ways, this has not been what we foresaw in any way, I think particularly given this was the brunt of, I mean, for Brandon and myself, this was our entire two year, you know, MBA program, yeah. personally speaking, like above even finding myself a job, like this is the legacy that I think we want to leave and laying the infrastructure in a stable point so that it can be passed off. We have a passionate board for each of these clubs has been extremely important for Canada business in particular. We actually do want to in the next, I mean, we have essentially a month until graduation, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. Something that really came to light, I think for all of us was a lot of this club and especially Canada business and focused around this idea of social responsibility, knowing yes, there's a market opportunity, but this has to be done right. I'm from California. I know what it looks like when a place that if California can't do it right and roll out all the social <laughs> equity programs, they, you know, yeah. New York is going to have a beast yeah. on its hands and being in the middle of it. Yeah. There is a real chance to make an impact. There was always this sense that we have to fight this hypocrisy of, oh, we'll give back social equity when we're profitable. From the business perspective, from the businesses that we work with and how we understand this base and hope to help develop it. And so that being said, something that I think really culminated during the COVID time was the hypocrisy of having cannabis be de- like deemed an essential good. I'm personally in California. I will have somebody deliver it to my house. And then having that translate into an actual death sentence mm-hmm. for the over 40,000 incarcerated individuals that we yeah. still have. Or I mean, it's yeah. just mind boggling. And I think that's always been at the heart of not only cannabis business, but especially why we wanted to build out this broader ecosystem and have an action-oriented sort of coalition of students. That's our really big goal, I would say, across every club. That is part of the reason we really rushed to even get Canna Policy off the ground. Tosi mentioned this before, but potentially helping out our existing partners. So we work really closely with the Mm Last Prisoner Project, really from the very beginning before we were even an official club. We've been working extremely closely with them, and they're actually the subject of our class in the fall. So our class is going to be consulting for them and how companies can prioritize corporate social responsibility given this situation and the different scenarios politically and otherwise that can unfold. And so that's something that's on our radar. But we were thinking fall is pretty far away. We're not going to be sidelined that long. We should definitely look to use this as a platform to really inspire the people that that do support cannabis. That's our number one goal for, I would say, cannabis business in this immediate Uh term. In the longer term, hopefully once this settles, really building out and following through on a robust recruiting pipeline, hand in hand with the Office of Career Development, where we can lend credibility to jobs, work with employers so that they understand what students might need to see to actually yeah. move into cannabis. We've already been gathering a lot of data, actually, and we have over 120 data points on why certain students do or don't mm-hmm. want to work in cannabis. And so that kind of work, I think, will be really instrumental in, as Brandon said, bridging this gap between employers needing qualified talent and truthfully, slightly cheaper talent, I would imagine, than the next mm-hmm. couple of years. Maybe it's not that executive yeah. search. Maybe it's that middle management, super qualified, passionate business school, public policy, whatever it might be. Student comes in and really turns your organization, you know, 
yeah. around, I would like to think. And so that's really our longer term goal, in addition to fitting into this broader ecosystem and hopefully having classes that span across all of the schools, all logistics yeah, considered and, and really building into that. So that's sort of the can of business piece. And I'll, I'll pass it off to right. you know whoever you'd like to fill in next. Let's go to Brandon with uh, with law. What's the, what's the goal for can of law, both short term and long term? Yeah. So uh, in terms of short term, I think for the short term, as Katrina mentioned, our focus is really going to be on COVID. It would be sort of a tone deaf and also just sort of wrong to continue operating digitally what we were doing physically and not focus on this immediate crisis in light of you know all the people who are incarcerated and exposed to the virus. So we are going to be working closely with the Last Prisoners Project. We're actually trying to connect them with legal interns to help them with their compassionate release program. They have actually have a lot of federal constituents who are incarcerated for marijuana crimes. So uh, to try to file motions and, and get compassionate release as during during this time period is really impactful and important. So getting law students involved with that. We're also uh, going to have a phone banking event where we get students from Wagner and the business school and the law school all together to call local governor's offices and Department of Corrections to advocate to get people released from prison who are, ex- who are exposed from the virus. So we're going to be focusing on COVID for the rest of the semester and also just digital sort of you know educational events that we would have otherwise done in person. In terms of next year, you know, we actually had a, a partnership with a with a networking company in New York that have these big uh, networking events where uh, they're going to now come to NYU Law School and we're going to get free access to the events and get to present the present at the beginning of them and spread the word. So we're going to have a lot of really cool educational events at the law school. And as Katrina mentioned, continue to develop our relationships with companies in the space and facilitate internships and get, you know, NYU law students into the cannabis industry. Because I know that there's a lot of demand there from the students, but you know, there's really not that access point. So we have to really, you know, we have the infrastructure now and now we have to make it happen next year. And then, you know, actually sort of executing this, a lot of the infrastructure that we've set up in terms of in, in mass numbers, in terms of the, uh, the expungement services especially and, and getting even more hands on deck to help with the advocacy strategy for the clemency campaign to get, get executive pardons for people incarcerated. So yeah, but I think uh, for all the clubs, you know, th- there is a lot of overlap in, in our goals and that is bringing sort of students who are educating students, breeding responsibility in the place, bringing those students into the industry and having NYU be sort of the uh, the, uh, the launch pad for that, giving the university an opportunity to really enter in a place of, of thought leadership in, in the yeah. space this early, Excellent. early stage. Uh, so Tosi, let's talk about policy. I know that it's just, it's just recently formalized, but how are you dealing with the current situation? What are the kind of the bigger term plans around what you hope to achieve with Canna policy inside of NYU? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think just piggybacking on off of Katrina and Brandon um, and how there is so much overlap on how we want to work together to really just become, you know, a leader, a thought leader in this space. But I would say immediately for Canna policy, being that we were just approved, I think the most important thing is setting up um, transition for our board. I am graduating in May, which I'm really excited about, but I want to make sure that the leadership is put in place so that our mission and vision continues even when I do leave. I know I'm a really passionate person pushing forward this club, but we have have over 50 people who have signed up in support of this club and people who already identified that they want to be leaders in the group. So I think it's really just laying the groundwork for a smooth transition for the next semester. 
and also is going to just long term is going to coincide with the efforts of Canada law and cannabis. So when we're talking about supporting expungement efforts um, for cannabis victims of incarceration, I know that cannabis is going to be on a few ballots this year, um, state ballots. So if there's a way that we can work with that, I know for particularly I'm from New Jersey, and it's supposed to be a question on the ballot this year. Yeah, it is. A lot of students from New Jersey who go to NYU. So I think that just, you know, really thinking through what way can we leverage our power, leverage the support of students to make sure that we are putting as much information out there so that people hopefully make the right decision on how they want cannabis to be infiltrated in the United States. It's really kind of the long-term vision and just working with all three clubs, um, part of this infrastructure to see how we can be most powerful and just leading universities and how to move forward with this industry. Yeah. And so for folks that are in the industry listening to this, what are some recommendations, some suggestions you can give them to help to get involved at the university level? Where are there opportunities? Where do you have need either individually or at the corporate level? Because I think it's really important that we engage you know, the industry in this. Where are the opportunities? I'll let anyone who feels like they've got some ideas go. But um, how can we get the folks listening to this engaged in, in some of the things you're doing? Sure. Well, well, I would say there are a number of opportunities. One, if if you want to come in and, and speak to students at an event and actually come join our events, that would be a great opportunity to actually get linked up with, with a, an institution like NYU. Two is if you want access to student talent. If you need interns or or somebody to pick up a consulting project or to help you with, you know, some specific strategy initiative, this is sort of the the perfect opportunity for students to, to jump into the industry. And I think you'd be finding them eager and willing to do that uh, probably for pretty cheap as, as well as, as Katrina mentioned. Also the opportunity to connect with with other organizations that that we're partnered with, you know, nonprofit organizations in the space, you know, without any sort of personal motive involved, just purely for achieving, you know, our mission of uh, making a positive impact in, in this in this space, contributing towards our social equity services and our criminal justice services at the law school. So you know, it's sort of a hub for for all of these all of these connections between employers and NYU as an institution, between employers and the students at NYU, whether business, law, or policy, and also just the opportunity to sort of improve the industry at large and impact development. Perfect. I'm going to collect uh, information from all of you for contact information and how, you know, links for people to get more information about each one of your programs. So it's in the show notes here. But I really appreciate the time today, Brandon, Tosi, Katrina. I really, great conversation. Like I said, I think this is a an untapped area of the industry is really working with universities, working with students to help, you know, not only help the industry right now, but really kind of shape the industry going forward. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks, great. Thanks. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. If anybody wants to get involved in, in any way, we have a fun journey ahead. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.